Yeah, so I guess I'll go ahead and read that before I fall into another tangent. So what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Just Pick Something podcast, where we discuss movies and TV shows, and eventually short movies or something else. We got that in mind, but this time we're going to talk about one of my favorite movies, which was, or is, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's modern satire of loosely based on the Odyssey. It was released in 2000, directed by Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen. Those names might sound familiar if you love movies because they've directed a whole bunch of really big movies. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Hail Caesar, Inside Llewyn Davis, True great Fargo and as the time of recording this episode this movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou can be streamed on Amazon Prime so I have seen this movie I think more times than I could count on two hands I've lost track of how much times I've seen this movie. And Franco, I think you said this was your first time seeing the entire movie all the way through, right? Yeah, so I've watched this like through bits and pieces. Like, it'll be on like FX or something, and I'll be like channel surfing, and I'll see like a part where they go to the Ku Klux Klan rally. Oh, yeah. Or the part where they're singing on the radio. Like, you know, some of the bigger like moments of the movie I'll actually have seen. And I was just like, what? In the what in the world is this? And someone was like, "Oh, it's like a retelling of the Odyssey," and I was like, "That sounds super dope." And then I never watched it. <laughs> and so when you were like, "This is my favorite movie," I was like, "I mean, that's an excuse, and I'll definitely do that now." Uh, so like, why? <laughs> when did you like first watch this then? Oh, okay. So here's the thing: it's a little hard to know because I watched this movie way too early in my like life. I think I was maybe about seven or eight when I saw this movie because my parents or mom and dad love this movie to the point that they bought the soundtrack watched it repeatedly bought the vhs tape that came out like the year or two after right i think this was probably one of the more memorable movies from my childhood that i have which is really weird because this movie is quite heavy in a lot of themes that maybe i should have watched later and not so early but i think i'm going to stick with the idea that i think this is a pretty good movie to show to a kid because it's pretty fun has a lot of music and entertaining parts but also kind of introduces a lot of like really serious topics in in like a interesting enough way that might you know give a parent a chance to be like oh yeah you should uh, we'll talk about this later or oh it's way more complicated but like for example the kkk scene you know <laughs> real quick though that's kind of crazy that both of us were like yeah no these movies are definitely like we watched them when we were seven and we were like this is definitely like kind of crazy to like watch that age to like oh like off the top of our head but like you know what actually in retrospect perfect age perfect age to watch this to your, show this to your kids yeah yeah i mean <laughs> sure it might be a little concerning nowadays to be like um maybe this child shouldn't be watching a movie with like sirens and cursing and like criminals or whatever and also the kkk which is i think the biggest part of like maybe a red flag for (laughs) a potential movie not to show a child but like arguably i think this movie does a lot of things really well including showing the kkk in a really negative and scary light you know so like so like the what what is the guy running for governor's name is he the one so the one he's running against is named after homer i think um yeah homer stokes is that who you're thinking about homer stokes is the kkk guy right yes he's the one that is mostly bald has rimmed circle glasses his running mate is like a little person and he's like i'm gonna sweep up the corruption of the government friend of the little man yeah yeah, yeah. so i i love how uh apio daniels i guess then like okay so that's the that's the incumbent right the large the larger man i think so i might be mixing up the two i want to say that it was like the incumbent was named after one of the characters from the odyssey okay so the current governor in the movie is named papio daniels right his opponent is named homer stokes he's the one running with the little 
person and is claiming to sweep up the corruption in government. Homer Stokes is also the Red Dragon leader of the KKK in that area. Yeah, so one, okay, so it's interesting they named Homer Stokes after obviously Homer from like the Odyssey (laughs) and I'm like, why would you name the Red Dragon KKK guy after the writer of the Odyssey? That's a weird choice. I don't understand a lot of the illusions. I, I remember reading the Odyssey when I was younger and I'm a big yeah. I'm a fan of Greek mythology but I'm not going to pretend like I understand all like the nuances and pretend like I read the, the epics recently yeah yeah I, I read that in high school too I looked into it over time because it's super famous super like interesting also like I you know I think you could say a lot of things in over time has borrowed from the Odyssey oh, yeah so, um, but I thought it was I thought it was hilarious how the movie ends with him being like ah yes I am part of this like perfectly decent group of people known as the kkk <laughs> and everybody's like yo like I, they obviously don't think that he's garbage because uh because they're he's racist i think he's garbage because he hates the band the soggy bottom boys yeah, yeah the soggy bottom boys but it was like one of those things where it's like oh it's so validating to get this guy like entirely get his butt whooped and yeah yeah <laughs> well that's what i mean it's like okay if you're going to be a child watching this scene with the KKK, right? And I, I kind of want to talk about it later as maybe we start to discuss the overall plot of the movie, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's a pretty good introduction for a child, especially like for me growing up in the South, right? As a little kid, you're not exactly like, oh yeah, look, there's the KKK member over there. There's a KKK member over there, right? It's not like a thing you're actively learning in your life, right? You learn about it later as you learn about racism and history, right? So when you see it in this movie, it's like, what, what are we presenting? this huge organized group of men wearing like these sheets and making them look kind of scary right they're all marching around this huge burning cross and it's unsettling and worrisome right and then you see this black man who you've met earlier in the movie and he's scared and they're dragging him and they're talking about like hanging him and it's scary and it's mean and like horrifying right for like a little kid and you're like i want these people to not do this and i want someone to save this guy right and then they're also kind of played a little bit like fools you know yeah. Like, when they save him, they're all kind of just standing around, just gawking at, like, what's going on around them. Like, like the color guard of the color. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the Cyclops, um, what is it, John Goodman's character, yeah. catches it, and then he gets killed by the, the cross. And later, like you said, in the movie, everyone hates Homer because they're like, we want to listen to this music. You, you're interrupting that. Get rid of him. You know? Like, arguably, you could say that, like, yeah, it doesn't go into the full history of the KKK, right? But, like, for a, a little kid it's not bad to be like this is why they kind of suck you know and then you probably have a conversation about that later yeah because like on like a surface level it very much reads like oh yeah no like these guys suck for a bunch of like narrative reasons but mm-hmm. as you get older and you learn about that stuff you're like oh no you guys suck like in general like the movies in, in like the grand scheme of things yes is kind of nice in the sense that it's like it doesn't go as hard into you guys as maybe someone would be like it's necessary but but like very much on like a basic narrative level they're like we make sure that you guys understand you do not like these people and that's pretty much like the basic what you need especially because they're not like they're not 
super present in the film so they're not like the main driving force of a lot of conflict Mm -hmm. for what they do in the film it is they do represent kind of how dumb they look and as well as kind of like how backwards they kind of are as like in like thinking yeah they're painted so negatively that it feels like rewarding when you see them get their comeuppance and like i get like i said i guess we'll talk more about it later but like ah man it's scary to think now as an adult when you see this movie and you think about the larger i guess politics of it all where you're like well what is this movie kind of implying that the popular seeming candidate for governor who's has a lot of pull with the common people in this area is also a kkk member who we to see try to lynch a black man on screen and that is unsettling because it kind of is like that's right the kkk in that time period was very very aggressively like involved in politics to the point where it's like oh yeah yeah all that is terrifying because that's right these white supremacists were actively in politics and out about it that's definitely unsettling <laughs> but like, okay going to the beginning of this movie it's kind of cool that they start with a song you know like as they're escaping yeah i know I, I i very much like how music forward this movie is because i guess it like it leads to the idea that it is based off like an epic song from greek time and then like just updated it to the to the time period that it's involved in i very much yeah i very much enjoyed this movie musically as well which is weird to say because it's not a musical but a lot of people do sing <laughs> yeah i mean for a movie that's not a musical there is a lot of music and it's almost like music plays a big role in this movie to kind of set the time period and the tone but also just to make this movie entertaining in a way that's like not slaps the comedy which this movie also has yeah, takes away some of the melancholy that it could be. You know what I mean? Yeah, because there's a lot of like, like we were talking about before, where it's like the the realization of certain things. You're like, oh man, if you think about it, like a lot of the situations that happen, like there are like a lot sadder bits in it in regards to like how people are living situations that they're doing going through it's kind of like oh man this is actually kind of like you sit on it for a little bit longer there is like a there is melancholy to it like you said yeah Yeah. i mean one of the most memorable parts of this movie is the music right like i don't know if you were in atlanta around the early 2000s but like i remember the the big song from this movie that i'm pretty sure won a grammy eventually which was man of constant sorrow right near the end they're playing on the stage it's like on the radio and was a big hit for this movie did it also win a, an oscar or did it just win the grammy i mean i think it was nominated for a lot of awards but i know it won a grammy either for that song or for album of the year for like a motion picture you know i wouldn't doubt it because it's it's, it's a really good soundtrack in general so. yeah dude i even remember listening to it in a waffle house when i was like a kid <laughs> yeah man oh, man and it, it feels like the music kind of go in hand with a lot of other things in this movie right like did you get some of the like religious themes that were kind of present in this movie um a little bit but i mean it was unfortunately you know what i should have done i should have watched two three more times because it is, there's a lot to unpack in this movie <laughs> dude you didn't have to watch it through two or three times that's what you got me for the guy who's watched this movie like 20 or 40 times <laughs> you know? well, there's, there's a lot to unpack here it's, it's a lot to like one there's the level of just like watching as a film and there's two understanding what they're getting from the odyssey is like an entirely separate layer then thinking about like yeah like we talked about like the politics the the religious angle of it there's a lot of different layers to this film and it seems 
like on like one level it's like this is just a really cool movie and then you get into it and you're like oh man like oh they get like really deep into some of this stuff mm-hmm. yeah I, the main I, like religious thing that i can think of is mostly just the guy who sold sold to the devil oh yeah yeah tommy and i'm like did he really uh i mean i think it's very much left for interpretation on purpose right right because like you the way he describes the devil very much lines up with the guy who's hunting them mm-hmm. the the prison guard or uh warden or whatever the, yeah uh, so like he very much like exactly how the guy describes the devil being it's like okay so is it like a literal devil or is it like more of like a it's a colloquial like white devil type thing i mean honestly i feel like you could probably interpret it as both or or one or the other because like i think the imagery of him representing evil is pretty strong because it's also kind of like he kind of represents an evil of 1930s southern america right a person who sees themselves above the law even though they are the law and they're judge jury and executioner and he even i think one point says uh, i'm above the law or is the one that decides when people die and plus arguably for a black man in 1930s america yeah i could see that guy being your idea of what the devil would be that's fair another another parallel between this and my favorite movie being about the criminal just criminal justice system and minorities <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah bring it back in man let's let's just talk about 12 angry men again <laughs> exactly all right so we 12 angry men right <laughs> The one guy yeah. does say he's an execution. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, yeah, that, that it is. It is interesting that like prison does like play like a huge part in this mm-hmm. because you have to think like the reason that the the main three characters start their journey in general is because they basically were like, I have no life after this. Mm-hmm. Like the, the way our system is to form it at the at the current time, as well as like not not too dissimilar to now, is mm-hmm. like these people are gonna rot away in jail, come out and be like ancient. <laughs> yeah they have no life after that yeah particularly john Turturro's character who goes along with his plan because he thinks there's a treasure at the end for him but he's also like two weeks from release yeah so because he went with him he's not gonna get out as he says if he gets arrested until he's like 84 yeah I, what the other, the other guy only had like a couple years left too i think right yeah they both they were not going to be well off once they got out but yeah. you know they're worse off if they get caught after they escape yeah. and yeah no it's it was definitely interesting because like also it's like one of the things where it's like i in my brain i'm trying to like figure out how i like relate this to the odyssey because again it's like where it is and i'm like so what's like the allegory here i do have a, a list pulled up of reference References to the Odyssey. I knew a couple uh, going into it. The Cyclops being John Goodman's character, right? Or the Sirens. Yeah, like the Muses. Yeah, the Sirens. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then like him turning into a frog is like Cersei. Cersei turning people men into animals. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blank on animals. Yeah. Um, yeah, Cersei turning men into pigs, and that's kind of when, like, Delmer, Tim Blake Nelson's character, thinks that his friend got turned into a toad. Um, mm-hmm. okay, let me think. Would, I don't know if, the, if what you're looking at says it. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head is that the guy's hair gel is, like, the beeswax. Uh- <laughs> Like, Ooh, like, actually that might be a good catch it's not in this list i have pulled up but yeah actually i could see that being a good catch nice because i was thinking i was like i was like they made like a big thing about his hair gel and i was like that has to be like a reference to something dude honestly yeah i never put that together because i thought it was just a fun fork of his character but actually i think you're probably right about that too bad we don't know the cohen brothers so we could have just asked them you know call him right now <laughs> yeah yeah go ahead and call him on discord that's how i'm pretty sure that's how you reach him right uh, yeah i think so 
<laughs> but yeah, good catch, man. Um, let me think. What else? Okay, so there's obviously, yeah, Homer Stokes is named after Homer. And uh-huh. also, technically, the blind radio man could be Homer from the Odyssey, too. Oh, I guess that would be true. Did I just, like, blow your mind? <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. I, there was one part of the movie where I was like, oh, it's the guy. What's... Was it like bank robber? I thought was like a reference to the god of winds or whatever. I remember. I remember very clearly during a part of the movie being like, "This is a reference to the god of winds." So, Babyface Nelson, or I guess just just George Nelson, because he makes a point of being like, "Don't call me Babyface." This list that I pulled up from the internet says might be a reference to the god of Hermes, okay. and even like the very beginning, right, where the railroad man blind and giving him this fortune, the blind fortune, yep. yeah, and then the, the, the suitor when he gets back home is, is obviously the suitors in the odyssey and like i guess to tie it back into the discussion of like the religion right like even that like baptism scene could be like when odysseus's crew gets like drawn in by the lotus eaters yeah i was wondering if it was if they were it was interesting i was i was wondering if the the baptism people were the sirens too because technically they drew them into the water and the only person who wasn't was what the heck is his name right now the main character. <laughs> oh, the one played by George Clooney? Yeah, George Clooney's character where he's... Everett. Uh, the rest of his crew gets drawn in into the water because yeah. they're singing. His name is Everett because he's like Everett McGill. <laughs> there you go. Laundry ladies, they're the sirens. Okay. Soggy bottom boys, beggars disguised to infiltrate and get wife back. Baptism was the lotus eaters. See, I, that's why I'm still... I still don't... Because like the baptism is is like very, very clearly getting drawn into the water and then being pushed under. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right? So that's why I'm like, it's the sirens. But at the same time, like, the women are very clearly sirens. So I feel like it could, it could probably be interpreted, like, one is clear in the way that, yeah, the women are in the river, they're singing their sirens. But maybe you can view the baptism scene as its own siren adaptation where you're being lured into this water by chanting and communal singing. And, like, it's a very cool scene where it feels like he's absolved of his, like, sins, even though he's not. And I think it's also pretty pretty important for the movie because it kind of establishes George Clooney's character Everett as a man who doesn't really have that much faith which makes his last scene in this movie where he's about to go to the gallows to the noose and the men are singing with him about his death and he's just starting to pray for a miracle and he gets it so it feels like it ties in together with those two scenes in the beginning and in the end that's fair that's, I, that's why I was like this movie's a lot of fun just because that the, the mythological aspect of it is, is interesting in and of itself and then all the other aspects added to it i'm like this is really cool i'm really i'm really mad though i didn't watch this before (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah i'm telling you it's a good movie i think my sister and i have seen this movie more times than we can count we can probably recite most of the lines from this movie and i think like the songs are just ingrained in our head you know like all, all the the hymns and the songs when the sirens are singing and they're like go to sleep little baby god i i can't imagine how annoying we were as children for our parents with all the songs that were probably stuck in our heads because of this movie. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> uh, speaking about a song in particular, I don't know if you picked this up because this was actually something I picked up with my most recent watch. Going back to the KKK scene, right? When character Homer starts singing that song, Oh Death. Okay. Did did you like pick up on the depressing feeling as he sang? Because I didn't notice it until this watch that it's kind of this interesting choice they made by having him sing that song. Because to me, that song 
song very much feels like a man pleading to death to spare him just this one time so keep on living but by having this person who is leader of the kkk singing it over the crowd of other white supremacists to a black man who's being sentenced to being death and instead of the person who's going to be hanged singing that song about pleading to death sparing him for this one time it, instead this man who's leading the charge to hang this guy almost kind of like mocking him being like i will not even allow you to beg for death because i am robbing you of not only your life but also your final words and i might be reaching but i thought that was a pretty interesting choice by having him sing that song that, is, that would be that, that's interesting that's dark <laughs> yeah it's extremely dark but like looking up the lyrics to that song it, it's a sad depressing song it, i'm not gonna sing the whole thing but it's like won't you spare me over to another year what is this i can't see with ice cold hands taking hold of me well I am death, none can excel, open the door to heaven or hell. Like, it really feels like the song of this is just someone singing to death, can you just spare me one more day? You know, I'll do whatever you want. I'll like, you know, I'll fix your feet or I'll like, I'll do anything. And it's pretty fucked up for this guy in charge of the KKK to be singing this song to a man who's about to die, you know? Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> man, the things you get from just like obsessively watching a movie, you know? Yeah, I mean like, you get, you, you get more chances to get into it and maybe like learn things even if it's not necessarily intentional like it, it's one of those things where it's like oh that 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 scene doesn't mean that and it's like no just like watch it like listen to what's being said yeah if you watch it more than once maybe you'll understand it as i look so <laughs> one of my favorite things about movies is like actually trying to like get into like the, the deep nitty-gritty of like what they could possibly be saying in scenes mm-hmm. like that's not necessarily just like face value stuff yeah. right and i hate when someone's like no this is what they said like it's just like word for word exactly what they like came out their mouth and i was like yeah but like you have to look into it from like the greater context of like everything going around and like what this informs about the characters and all that stuff and it's like no like if it doesn't work when i hear it <laughs> it doesn't work and i was like man like i really it, it like it hurts on like an artistic level for people to be like no like i don't see the artistic merit of this because it didn't come across the very first time i saw it and it's like no like you can if you go deeper into it maybe you'll see something else and like sometimes on the other hand i will very much be on the camp of like no i've looked into this deep enough it's still dumb (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it definitely feels like that but for this movie man i just feel like the music is so important to the movie that it makes such a big difference with it versus if it didn't include it you know yeah no like exactly like hearing it on like a regular watch you're like okay yeah this this is cool whatever it's like they talk about music that you never knew was actually really dark and then we're like hey y'all it's actually not like an upbeat like party song it's actually about this dude being like scorned by his lover or whatever like that i was like oh man like, <laughs> yeah yeah or like or on a more obvious note pumped up kids by lots of the people yeah. it's about a school shooting you know kind of obvious once you start singing the lyrics but uh yeah it very much feels like sometimes it's eye-opening when you listen to the lyrics of a song and interpret it especially in a movie in a different way and sometimes it's not more than it existed within the song but for this movie other than that scene like it's just plays such a pivotal role in this movie like even in the end with the way the, the blind seer in the beginning comes back around it's almost like he's going on this long journey kind of like the odyssey and you see him at the very beginning and at the very end and just like the movie started off with a song it ends with another song you know yeah. speaking of which did you have like um a favorite performance of someone in this movie i know recently we kind of talked about john Turturro um uh, being really fun when you see him pop up in a movie like you kind of recognize him from 
<laughs> Transformers movies. And I said I recently saw him in a TV show called Severance that hopefully we can talk about one day. But like, here he is. He popped up again. And I think he delivers a really fun performance as Pete, you know, with his really, like, I, I guess you could say deep, sudden draw, you know? Yeah. I like John Turturro's really good. George Clooney's obvious, pretty good. I think for me personally, out of the three, Tim Blake Nelson was like the person who stood out the most. And Dude, I, I love Tim Blake Nelson as an actor. When he shows up in movies, it's so interesting and good, you know? Like, I really wish he would be in more things because I think he can deliver a solid range of performance. I've, I've, I've watched very little of, surprisingly, I watched very little of the Coen Brothers actual filmography. Right. Oh, really? Man, that's crazy. I, I think they're some of my favorite movies. I, can... I watched Ballad of Buster, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. So I was like, of course they would continue to work with this guy because he is great in pretty much everything that I've seen him in. <laughs> yeah, he was great in the recent Watchmen series on HBO. Oh, he was in that? Yeah, yeah. He was Looking Glass. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, right? Yeah, he, he was phenomenal in that role, you know? And he was in, like you said, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I saw him a while ago in a TV show called Klondike. Okay. And he had a pretty interesting role in that show, too. I mean, he, like I said, he pops up. He's never bad. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's gonna be him. He was supposed to be in the MCU. He plays the Hulk villain, the master. <laughs> Yes, that is true. He was supposed to be the master. I don't know if he's going to be him in the She-Hulk series. I very much was like, oh, yeah, I love Tim Blake Nelson. This is going to be great. <laughs> oh, dude, talk about wasted potential in casting. Marvel movies, like, at this point in time, now that we're quite a bit into the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? I'd say it has a fair amount of problems to it. One of them is just, like, wasted talent. Casting really good actors in roles. Then waste. Adding to the list other than Tim Blake Nelson, right? You have... Mad Mickelson, who was in Doctor Strange, the first movie, as the main villain, Caecilius, right? And he was fun, and I liked him in that movie. It's a shame that, like, that was it, because I think he's a really strong actor, you know? And, like, I know that many actors don't really want to sign on to a multi-picture contract or commit themselves to multiple movies and TV show cameo appearances, but it still feels like a waste, you know? Yeah, no, uh, what's his name? The guy who plays Red Skull in the in Captain America... <laughs> Yeah, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving, oh my god. You you bring in Hugo Weaving for a movie, a movie, and then you drop the man? He didn't. He wasn't even Red Skull for Endgame. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I mean, arguably, a lot of issues when it comes to actors and casting and being replaced comes down to just scheduling conflicts and other projects or lack of interest or negotiations. Or, and, you know, it made sense where he ended up, but, like, whatever the reason is. Ah, oh, man. And then also, like, Donald Glover in that Spider-Man movie, the first one. You know? oh, oh man, don't get me started on that trilogy and the waste of potential <laughs> storyline. <laughs> yeah, I guess we won't drag that back up. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love seeing Tim Blake Nelson appear in things because I think he's a phenomenal actor. And he was really good in this movie too, you know? You know, the only person who, like, really surprised me, though, when I saw them, and it's only because I, I only really know them from very, like, from, like one or two things personally, because I didn't watch a bunch of stuff with them. Uh, it's Holly Hunter. I saw Holly Hunter, and I was like, hey, that's that chick who uh, Jesse Eisenberg pissed in a, in a bottle for, for Batman Richardson. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't even realize that was her. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, I was like, she's she's from Batman vs. Superman. And I was like, I actually, I've watched like a couple of things with her. Mostly, you know, Incredibles. Yeah, that's how I know her from. I know her from Incredibles and this movie, you know? I'm like, no, no, piss, piss in a bottle, guys. That's what I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> 
<laughs> the piss in the bottle person. Yep, yep. Oh man, that made me laugh more harder than I expected. <laughs> the cast is really strong. It's a really strong cast in this movie. Uh, I like like another thing that like I very much enjoyed was I liked how it looked visually as well. They did the color grading to very much feel like it, it. Very clearly doesn't look like an older movie because the film quality of it is so good, right? But they're still yeah. able to do a really good job of using the color grading to like harken back to an older time it's like they put <laughs> they put the, the they put the the filter over it um this is just because i love this movie so much i know a little bit about it right okay this movie was a big game changer for use of color correction in big motion pictures really yeah so when they were shooting this movie right they wanted it to capture this feeling of like an old movie that was like sepia toned right so they were trying to do a few things like messing with the film to like add or remove color and this and that right and it just didn't really work and they shot a lot of this movie in like the south like like tennessee you know yeah. in in summer so it was beautifully gorgeous greens and saturated colors like the south in summer and gorgeous you know yeah. so well, the way they got to the solution they came up with in the final result right was by messing with it digitally remember this is like 2000 right yeah they were digitally altering and playing with the film and they took out the greens in the movie which resulted in this sepia tone like color palette that wasn't actually sepia tone it just had the absence of green that's so crazy crazy yeah isn't that really cool that is really cool and i didn't know it was just I, I like you would think it was more work than that <laughs> which right at the time period, at the time period obviously that is a lot of work but like, yeah i mean it's like what early 2000s computer a person or maybe a team of people had to actively go and color correct stuff but yeah one of the major things they messed with was just the removal of green that's so cool i would have never yeah i would have never guessed that but yeah like yeah if you come to the south during the, the summer it's gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> i remember i was driving around one day and i was like yo like it's so nice here why do i just like pretend that it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude the south it plays a trick on you if you leave the south right where you're just surrounded by so much like trees and foliage and it's really nice and then like say you fly over the you know not the south in an airplane and you're like oh that has a lot of concrete that is a lot of concrete. Yeah, no, it was crazy. I was like, so, okay, so I, my main job, I drive around Atlanta a lot, right? Uh -huh. And so, this, so thinking about how they made this movie, it's crazy. It's like thinking about, like, they just took the color green out because that's, like, insane to look at. Like, you know, I'll drive through Atlanta and it's weird because you'll go through a pocket of Atlanta that feels like you're in, like, the middle of the country in Georgia, right? Where it's just like, oh, yeah, there's, like, sidewalks and green, like, full trees and big lawns and, like, nice houses and you're going through it. And then, like, two seconds later, you're, like, in the middle of the city. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, what the heck? And then I'll go to like, my, <laughs> my, my dad lived in Missouri. I would go to Missouri and be like, there's not a tree in like three miles. <laughs> like, how do you survive here? God, I know, right? And it, it feels like um, it's like when you when we talk about the issues of global warming and like deforestation of a lot of areas and it feels so hard to put that into context for people in the south because we grow up around nature you know and arguably it's something we're gonna have to actively participate to make sure it doesn't all go away yeah but like it's just so much nice trees and nature which is great and the south has a lot of problems but i would say the amount of trees that we have is a pretty nice touch you know it's pretty it's pretty nice part about it yeah it's 
like it's a one nice aspect of living in the south. I mean, let's ignore everything else for now. But yeah, trees are great. Yeah, trees <laughs> are great. No, I went to someone's house and I just saw their backyard and I was like, oh my god, there's like a creek in their backyard that you could like go through the trees to get to. I remember <laughs> as a child going through the woods and playing in the creek, and it's like I- I've been to my uncle's house and I gotta walk like three miles to get to a creek. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of nice mixed trails of the city, but also being surrounded by nature because of, like, conservation efforts and stuff, which is nice, too. Yeah, there's a nice diverse ecosystem here, which is why they film mm-hmm. so much here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, but nevertheless, I think it kind of points to the nature also, going tie this back into the movie again, right? Like, it's interesting they said it in 1930s America South, you know? Yeah. If you're going to do an adaptation of the Odyssey, which surprisingly more people haven't done, 1930s America, huh? What an interesting choice for a film location and time period, you know? That's not exactly what I think of of when someone says it like a historical piece. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and like it's not, it's also like not what you think about when you think of Greek epics, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's it's not the setting. It kind of lends itself to that in general. Just because of like, there is like an aristocracy to like the history of the south i feel like kind of does ultimately lead to that it's like oh yeah no like if i think of like old plantations the architecture like the culture and all that stuff it's like i could feel like a a certain level of like not necessarily like the, the greeks were like pompous but that's kind of like the idea that a lot of people will get in their heads i mean greek and roman architecture is super influential yeah on like a lot of the modern world right like the the columns and the, the color and that so it's like it's kind of crazy to like think about it. like, like oh, you know what like that does kind of work in like the south i think it, uh like the story of the odyssey and setting it in 1930s america right kind of maybe lends to the idea that like stories are cyclical you know like yeah. the same stories kind of pop up over time and setting it in 1930s america is like yeah it might be like an adaptation of the odyssey but these stories pop up throughout history even in you know the american south right i wonder what it would be like in modern day i mean it, i i'm saying man go we're going Going back to the 12 Angry Men discussion, I'm surprised they haven't tried to adapt this story in for modern times because all the material's there, you know? I'm sure if someone has, it's just not as obvious or as good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, possibly. I mean, hey, maybe there's a student film out there that tried to do that, you know, and just didn't get off the ground. They're like, they're <laughs> like this does not translate to modern day Seattle the way that it did <laughs> in, in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou in the South. Like, yeah, I guess you're right. It doesn't really fit there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you could do it easily. Like, there's you just need a little bit of creativity towards it you know like people readapt stories like romeo and juliet and place it in like the hood or the ghetto or like you know they reimagine it as like a story between a rich nobleman and a like just common person but like in england or something yeah, or you like, know? like like a like a puerto rican and like a white dude and gangs and work <laughs> yeah exactly Man, it's a shame they haven't done that yet. That sounds like a great opportunity for a movie. That, that sounds like a perfect pitch, actually. Yeah, someone should tell that guy that's really popular. What's his name? Uh, ben Manuel Miranda, right? Yeah. Yeah, they should call him up and tell he, him. I'm sure he would knock it out of the park. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe that's a little on the nose, though. <laughs> But uh <laughs> yeah um dude i'm just man this movie's great I, I love it i think it's weird this movie's effect on pop culture over the time it's been released because okay. like i don't think it pops up in conversation that frequently but it does pop up when people talk about the odyssey or like movies with a lot of meaning in it you know what i mean like it popped up in high school when we were discussing like stories and it pops up when people discuss you know tim blake nelson or john Turturro. and funny enough i don't know if you remember anything about this movie at the time 
fine, but like I don't remember it being received super well at the time it was released. Do you have any recollection of that? I mean, I was like, what? Are the, you said it came out in two thousand. I was like five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I just remember telling people, have they seen this movie? And they were like, no. I mean, because they were kids and I was a kid, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and they were like, I watched Jimmy Neutron. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't remember that many adults talking about this movie. I looked up reviews from that time, and a lot of people were kind of like a little harsh on this movie being like it doesn't do enough or it wasn't as good as it could have been i think it's so clever that's a, 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 it's not as good as it could have been i don't know what the heck they're looking at there's so much depth to like a lot of the writing yeah i a review i saw from that time period um it was like yeah and ever since the movie came out it hasn't gained attracting as it should have it's sitting at like 60 percent on rotten tomatoes and i'm like no way it is not sitting at 60 percent on rotten tomatoes and i looked it up it's like at 80 percent now or something you know like I think this movie has won people over in like the 22 years it's been released you know that's crazy it's crazy to look at movies that are like was this movie considered good and it's like no it actually wasn't yeah and it's like this movie wasn't bad. It just wasn't, like, amazing. And I guess if you compare it to, like, Fargo, you know, another one of their movies, yeah. I could I could see maybe people being like, oh, yeah, it, it was good, but it wasn't as good as Fargo, you know? But, like, man, this movie's great. I love this movie. And, like, I definitely want to show, like, if I ever have a child, I want to show them this movie and be like, don't tell these, <laughs> to your school that I showed you this movie this early. <laughs> <laughs> or something, man. It's just a good movie that I want to share with more people. And I, I, I think this movie is this. Oh, is that is that the Cohen brothers finally calling you back on Discord? No, I think they said they're busy today. Unfortunately. <laughs> Okay, I was like looking up like references that were like movies that referenced this movie, right? Mm-hmm. And they said there was a it was a documentary about the music in the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I don't think I've, I've never seen that movie, but uh, yeah, the singers for the songs in this movie wasn't the actual actors. George Clooney when he would sing, right? It wasn't actually him. It would be this other musician who's pretty popular named Daniel. Uh, I'm gonna butcher his last name. Tamiski. Uh, he's like a bluegrass guy i don't know if he's still active but he was around that time and the guy who sings oh death was also a really famous singer and yeah just a lot of really popular or a lot of talented singers lend their like voice and talents to the songs in these movies i i I was actually like man these guys could really sing i was like i I bet you 50 bucks it's not actually (laughs) man sometimes i will surprise you but no not for this one (laughs) I, i i don't know if that was tim blake nelson though singing or not because i think he can sing i'll say it is i'm gonna give him the guy i'm gonna give that guy the, the benefit of the doubt yeah i got i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up i'm gonna give that man credit right now if he is okay Tim like nelson does his own singing but otherwise is dubbed by pat Enright. he sings on the song in the jailhouse now but when he sings other outside of that song in the movie it's done by someone else so yeah he can sing okay um so i'm looking i'm looking at references and i re- i realized that pretty much any time you have a tv show where they do it they have like oh mother where are Art thou or oh brother where art thou it's like oh it's just a reference got it <laughs> <laughs> oh that makes sense yeah uh man this movie's I, I love this movie it's so good watch the next movies we're gonna do i'm gonna just find a way to bring this movie back up just like 12 angry men you know i'm gonna bring it up in time <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't know if I would say this is probably my favorite movie, like, like uh, 12 Angry Men is for you, but, like, man, it's up there. I just don't know if I have a favorite movie, you know? That's, I mean, that's fair. I, I say 12 Angry Men is my favorite movie because it's, like, so influential. But, like, if someone's like, oh, do you want to watch that movie right now? I'm like, eh, I don't need to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, if, if someone 
hasn't seen this movie and there's time, I'd be like, yeah, let's watch it. And if someone has seen this movie and they suggest it, I'm like, I've kind of already seen it a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah, my favorite movie is like, I put, I, I, it's like technicalities that are like why they're my favorite, right? Like for like my top five, it's like uh, 12 Angry Men, Moulin Rouge. It's like Mulan, Scott Pilgrim, and can't remember what I had at five or longest. But it always switched. <laughs> like it would be like, oh, it's it's Baby Driver, it's Man of Steel, which something that's that's uh, you know what's the word uh, controversial. Um, it'd be like something like that where it's like just a movie that I really really like. Oh no, it was, oh no. The most recent one was Into the Spider-Verse, which might just stay up there forever, because that movie is gold. Yeah, no, it's great. I guess to finish this conversation up, right, it feels like this is one of these movies, right, that I think is kind of lost for anyone that didn't grow up with cable TV, because like you said, you saw some of this movie as it would pop up on, like, FX. FX, yeah. Yep. And, like, that's how I watched quite a bit of the the times I've seen it, too. Just, it'd pop up on TV, and I'd be like, there's nothing else for me to watch. I love this movie. I'm going to watch Watch it right so it's kind of like it's kind of sad that you would have to get suggested these kind of movies yeah otherwise you might not see them and it's a shame you know because it's not like you have t- cable tv where you kind of just watch something because it's on you know and now you got streaming where you could selectively choose what you want to watch at all times yeah, and like the algorithm will like make pretty much make it where you'll never see these movies pop up mm-hmm. which is really unfortunate because like so for example right uh recently i finally watched top gun because obviously Top Gun Maverick came out, right? I would have never, like, because of how everything is, Top Gun has been available for free on Amazon Prime for, like, forever or whatever. <laughs> and it was on Netflix for, like, months. I would have never seen it if a sequel didn't come out and they weren't pushing it. Like, hey, look, we have it on our streaming service. Otherwise, like, if a, if a sequel doesn't come out, you know, I would have never have even known Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was on Amazon Prime until you yeah. told me to watch that we were going to watch it. Yeah, and I think you might, people might get suggested this movie if they start watching some of the Coen Brother movies, yeah. you know, because the algorithms on streaming services usually push similar directors or movies, right? Yeah. And I hope more people watch this movie because there's, I feel like over time it's kind of gained a more positive viewing upon it. Yeah. I think personally there's a lot you can pull from it or look into it like I have. And I think it's just a solid movie, you know? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think people should probably go and just, I like, it's one of the things where it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to go and find older movies that you may have missed because you really don't know what you're looking for, right? But nine times out of ten, if you have a favorite director or if you have, like, a favorite, like, genre, there's dozens of movies you've missed. And likely there'll be, like, if you just, like, stick around certain things, you're like, okay, yeah, no, I'll, I'll watch a bunch of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Edgar Wright is a guest. Not Edgar Wright. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now. Oh my God, why am I always Christopher doing Nolan? This? Christopher Nolan. No, guy who did Pulp Fiction. Guy who did Pulp Fiction. Oh, Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. Like you watch a bunch of Quentin Tarantino films. I feel like uh, based off the other ones, I was like, I feel like I'm more likely to get a Coen Brother movie after watching a Quentin Tarantino film than yeah, I could probably see that. Then, yeah. then like, like you're watching like you know uh, Django Unchained, and then they're like, oh, you know what, uh, old timey movie that has to do with you know <laughs> the South. Uh, yeah. Oh, brother, where art thou? <laughs> yeah. Although I will say, I think if we're doing related movies that might 
end up watching this movie. Oh yeah, that's not a good. That's not, those are not similar in the slightest. <laughs> no, they're good. I like those movies though. But um, I feel like the Conan brothers. I guess to talk a little bit about their like, I guess film chronology or uh, kind of movies they've done. Right. Yeah. They are they lean more towards serious dramas than they do comedies. There's comedies in them or like comedic moments in them, but I feel like most of the ones that I enjoy the most are kind of like serious or somber. And this one is kind of feels like one of those that isn't as serious but has a lot of lighthearted moments and funny in it you know like the big lebowski i think there's a lot of wit in their movies they're like smart mm-hmm. yeah for sure another movie i would love to do that's related to them that i don't think that many people have seen but it's one of my favorite of their movie collections is inside blue and david okay have you seen that movie nope. very somber I would say to me that movie is about the struggles of creativity but that might be fun to do for the future yeah I'm down yeah (laughs) and also stars a currently beloved actor that's in um, I think almost everything Oscar Isaac but yeah pretty good point to wrap it up (laughs) okay we're gonna do a wrap up now (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like thanks for listening to this episode of the Just Pick Something podcast if you haven't seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou I don't know what you were listening to this movie maybe you just wanted a recommendation and you stopped halfway through and were like all right yeah sold i'm gonna go watch this movie now awesome and if you have man tell me how much you love uh, this movie in the comments or the reviews or whatever i don't know where we can read them you try youtube when this eventually goes on there we're more likely to see any comments on youtube versus what is it apple podcast reviews or spotify reviews you can even write them there now you know Graham, on one of our reels tell us how wrong we are yeah thank you for that you know engagement my dude i really appreciate that engagement come on drive this drive this video up come on like, give it to more eyeballs <laughs> man <laughs> for now thanks for listening the intro and outro song for this podcast is vhs dreams by sean ivers the link is always in the description because you always gotta give credit and thanks for listening and tune in next time 